wanted to ask, what does the ideal church look like? In fact, get your mind rolling on what you think the ideal church would be like. Do you have any thoughts? Now, I could help you imagine some things. Uh, perhaps your ideal church uh, includes a pastor wearing a vest, or another pastor named Jeff, or maybe even a navy blue wall. Amazing Love, I think, is a, a good church for an ideal church picture. I wanted to show with you uh, a video of what might engage some people today, and I want to let you know this is a satirical video. It's not meant to be serious. Um, it's a humorous approach at how others look at what would draw them to church. It's called Me Church. Let's consider. Here it is. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Come here. Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. And so we have Super Bowl tickets in the lobby and ponies out in the back. No, thanks for going along with me in that kind of humorous approach to how people uh, approach church. But isn't there some truth to that video? Isn't it true that our culture has taught us to be savvy consumers? And so even every now and then, when we approach the church, we say, well, how does this suit me? Uh, what's in it for me? What do I like? And while that's not all bad, perhaps when it comes to church, there's still a better question. So instead of saying, what is your view of an ideal church, can I ask a better question? What's God's ideal for church? What are the things that as he looks down at his people, he says, man, oh, I love it when my church does that. And when he looks down and he sees different churches, and he's like, oh, man, guys, not again. Don't, don't do that. Well, to get some of our bearings, I wanted to share with you uh, kind of the marching orders that Jesus gave us as a church. Some of you might know this verse, uh, memorize this verse, heard it many times. It's called the Great Commission. And um, the Great Commission is, again, the mission statement for any church. Uh, it's where God said, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. Now, a church that does this makes the heart of God happy. And you see two things. First of all, you teach everything. And so last week we talked about discipleship. And uh, is there anyone here who knows everything in the Bible and all the interpretation? And so that means discipleship's never done. <laughs> in fact, if you are here last week, Pastor Jeff did a great job of describing it's not just hearing, it's also about putting these words into practice. 
But then there's that first part, which is go and make disciples. It's what we've called outreach. And I'm so excited to talk to you about that. In fact, we've focused in this series about three other areas that we believe makes the heart of God happy. We've talked about worship and service and fellowship. But when it comes to this item of outreach, I have a feeling that it is the most important, but also the most overlooked. So if you're taking notes, you can write it down if you'd like. I believe, and I'll explain why, why I believe it's the most important and most overlooked. So first, why is it most important? I don't enjoy pitting one emphasis over another, but consider it this way. If we stop reaching out to others, if we don't care if our children know or our friends know or anyone else around us know, how long will the church exist? As long as we're alive. (laughs) And while God promised that his church would remain forever, he didn't promise that this local church or the church of God in America would live on forever. That's how important it is. Next, why is it most overlooked? Well, you think about a church gathering, and the other four emphases, they happen on their own. For example, when Christians get together, it's usually for worship. That happens. Included in worship is discipleship and learning new. That happens. Included is fellowship. We meet together and say hello. That happens. We serve because someone has to bring it all together. Those happen naturally. And you could do all of that every Sunday without anyone ever saying you're doing anything wrong. You could never do outreach as a church and still feel pretty good. Because the thing about the lost is they're not here to let us know their needs. They're not here to tell us, what about me? Which is why 13 years ago, I love that we had a mission counselor named Ed Shuppie. And Ed Shuppie came to our church, and he was the voice of the lost in our midst. When Ed Shuppie came, he would write notes, and he would look at everything we do based on uh, the impression of a new visitor, someone who'd never been to church. And he'd take notes if we were friendly and if it was clean, and if he could relate to the message. And I'd get a whole sheet as he was the voice of the lost. Well, that shaped me. That experience, having to answer to him, shaped me. And I started becoming the voice of the lost. What he was looking at and what he was about, I started doing. And and then we brought that to leadership. And leadership took on how do we be the voice for the lost. And we were compelled by what Paul said. Paul gave us the paradigm of mission work. He said, I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means we might save some. And we started exploring what are all those possible means that we could do whether it's starting mornings with mommy, whether it's changing some things so that it doesn't make things difficult on those trying to come to God. We started exploring not not what's in it for us and, and what do I want, but how do we continue to reach those who need to be found? And so here we are, 13 years later, and over a thousand times I think we've set our mission statement, which is to... Reach the lost with the love of Christ. And why? Did we do it because the other things weren't important? Because it's not important to worship or to serve or be discipled or fellowship? No, those things have been going on since inception. They always go on. We do it because it was 
such important work to do and so easy to overlook. We do it because when we search scriptures, what makes the heart of God happy is when his people are about this. And that's the word of God that I wanted to share with you. Where we see Jesus and his heart over this type of work. So uh, we turn to Luke chapter 15. Would you like to remain seated? Is that comfortable for you guys or would you like to stand? Um, You you can take your pick. You can stand, stay seated, you won't offend me. Um, But here we are as we listen to the word of God. Um, So now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety-nine righteous persons who do not need to repent. And another parable? Or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels of God over one sinner who repents. These are the words. Feel free to be seated as we get to discuss what God has for us. A couple of years ago, I had an interesting conversation with a buddy of mine. He was talking about a job opportunity. He applied for and he was offered the job to work at a local brewery, which played loud, heavy music. And it's interesting as he explored the option, he had Christian friends who said, Never! <laughs> you don't want to be a part of that. I mean, you're going to represent a subculture that maybe you shouldn't give the impression you're okay with. And everyone knows alcohol in moderation is okay, but the abuse of alcohol, no. But then I listened to his reasons. He said, you know what, Dustin, if I take this job, as a Christian, I can talk to people that maybe no one else is talking to. I can go in an environment being salt and light as God wants me to in a way that maybe is not represented. And he took the job. And in the coming weeks, I was able to hear uh, how he was being just that. I was able to hear how this approach led to some great conversations, some great guidance when it comes to the things of God in a very unlikely place. I bring that up because Jesus was known for this activity. The places Jesus went made other people scratch their head and they're like, Christian being there, Messiah being there, never. Look at what the Pharisees said. The Pharisees and experts in the law were complaining, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. In fact, we even know that Jesus drank alcohol. At one portion of scripture, uh, they accused him of being a drunkard because maybe sometimes he went to those places and had a beer and said, hey, what's going on? I bring this up because as Christians, it would be easy for us to insulate us ourselves with only Christians. Once you join a church, if you wanted to, 
You could say, well, I only want Christian friends. I only want to support Christian businesses, and that's going to be my circle. I can be fully insulated. But how will we reach the lost? In fact, do you know that was the error of monasticism? The error of monasticism is that they cloistered themselves, they separated themselves together as Christians, and they weren't going out as God wanted them to, to be salt and light in the environment. And so our first takeaway is this, that to reach the lost, we need to go where they are. Now, what does this mean? It it doesn't mean that we all should sign up to work at a brewery. (laughs) I don't think so. It also doesn't mean that I think a Christian needs to go into every environment. Let's say there are some environments that we, it's all right, you don't have to go there. But what it does mean, maybe, is that you can go to that friend or family member. You can walk across the aisle, walk across the road and meet that person. Uh, maybe it means as I go to a game and I've been avoiding talking to that person or that coworker that I strike up a conversation because to reach the lost is going where they are. So I wanted you to think this week and pray about. I want you to think of just one person. Maybe in your family, your friend group, at work, just, just one person who you could pray about and invite to church. In fact, we are empowering you um, in your worship folders. You have one of these uh, info cards. Uh, you can use it for an invite. And um, next Sunday, we're actually starting a compelling sermon series. I, I hope it speaks to a lot of people. It's called Dealing with Difficult People. <laughs> Do you have any difficult people in your life? Um, and, and so feel free. We're going to kick it off and, and start this incredible series. Um, but just one. Do you think you do just one? Not, not a thousand, not ten thousand, just one person that you might text and say, hey, come sit with me. Because aren't you glad that someone did that for you? In fact, some of you even know who is so integral in your faith life. You can name them. Might have been a parent, family member, a friend, Friends of the family. And aren't you so thankful that God used them that you might know? More than that, aren't you so thankful that God did this activity? That God ultimately reached out to you? I love the action word in uh, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that what? He waited? He waited for the world to come to him. God so loved the world that he, he hoped He hoped that they might turn around and come to their senses. He acted. God so loved the world, he gave. And Jesus was sent and he went. Jesus was sent to earth and he went to the cross. The Son of Man came to seek that what was lost and that was us also that you and I could know what we know. That we have forgiveness for all of our sins. That we have the joy of salvation. That in a world of trouble, our God is overcome and we know we win in the end. All of this he did for us. He came for us. And so we go out just in turn. But to what degree should we do this work? When should we say enough is enough? 
to talk about that, some of you know that yesterday was a, a pretty big day. It was the 20th anniversary of 9-11. And uh, when you think of uh, that story, maybe you know where you were when it happened. Um, it was an ominous day that shaped our world forever. But from that day, there was one story that was kind of the silver lining. And it was the story of United Flight 93. Have you heard that story? And this was a plane that they say was headed towards Washington, D.C., uh, maybe to the Capitol, maybe to the White House. There's speculation about that. Until the people on the plane revolted. They were led by uh, this man, Todd Beamer, one of them among the, the mix. Uh, Todd Beamer, who actually graduated from Wheaton College. We had a classmate of Todd Beamer's in our first service. That was pretty cool. And if you're on Facebook right now, there is um, some links to uh, the conversation that he had with the telephone supervisor um, with the airphone. And he was describing all that was going on. He was describing the hijackers and, and what was going on and what they were carrying. Uh, he, he told his family that he loved them and please tell them. Um, really, really cool. They uh, prayed the Lord's Prayer together on the phone and recited Psalm 23. And then after he told uh, the attendant his plan, um, the infamous words, let's roll. And we know the rest. It worked. And the plane did go down in Shanksville, Pennsylvania, but that's better than going down in Washington, D.C., the Capitol or the White House. That's a man who, along with the others, did whatever it took to solve the situation. reminds me of Jesus. It reminds me of the tenacity of the shepherd in the story. When we go to the story, we hear that one is lost, and then this is the compelling idea. Doesn't he, the shepherd, leave the 99 sheep in the open country and go after the lost until? Last week, if you heard, you heard the beauty of conjunctions by my friend, uh, Pastor Jeff. And I love this conjunction as well. Until... He went and he searched for the lost until he was tired. Then he gave it up. Until the sun went down and the day was done, so he went home. No, until what? Until the mission was accomplished. He kept searching until the lost got found. And, and here I envision Jesus with like a machete. Right? Chopping down trees, making sure the sheep would be found. Or rappelling down a canyon and rappelling back up with the sheep on the shoulders. Here I imagine Jesus um, duking it out with uh, the wolves and only armed with a staff. He did whatever it took to reach the lost. And that's our next villain. I believe we reach the lost best by doing whatever it takes. See, an invite is something, but we could do so much more. We could text him and say, hey, tell me when you get here, because I want to sit with you. We could say, hey, uh, it's been a while. Let's go out for lunch and just catch up. We could show mercy and grace for all that they need in the time and the way they need it. And maybe the invite is too soon. But you know what? You can still rub shoulders. You can still pray. You can still love. You do whatever it takes. But something that struck me is that unfortunately I get hung up with my own untils. I don't know if you can relate. 
I'll reach the lost, Lord. Until it got awkward. And now I feel awkward. And I don't know what to say. Until it cost me something. I'm not sure I have time for that or emotion for that or money for that. Until it's 13 years later. God, you mean I still have to do this work? I'm tired of reaching the lost. Can you relate to your until? Which is why I love the shepherd's superior until. Because that was for you. Jesus, who would make sure he'd move heaven and earth so that you and I could be found. And what did he do? He stared the devil straight down and won. He stared death in the face and overcame it. He did everything possible so that you and I could be brought back. So that you and I could be lifted on his shoulders, presented to the Heavenly Father, and they could rejoice because the lost just became found. Isn't that the superior beauty of our Savior? Because what's the emotion when the lost get found? You know, to talk about that, I, I do love that uh, there are football games going on today. Anyone going to watch some football? And um, I, I got to admit, when my team wins, it's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good feeling. But, but I, I have this sense that, like, um, there are better joys out there, right, than, than, than your team winning. And one of my favorite joys in, in, in life is our new member welcomes. And, and maybe you remember when yours was. And it doesn't matter if there was a couple of people standing up here or a stage filled. When there's a new member welcome, there's no better reason to celebrate. Because every individual, every person represents someone who has been found by the Lord and found the Lord at this place. And I don't care if your team wins, that is a higher joy. Jesus talked about it this way. You know, when the lost get found, look what happens. He calls his friends together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. And I tell you that the same way there will be more rejoicing in heaven. That heaven is also rejoicing over that. I'm not sure heaven rejoices when your team wins. <laughs> but they do love this. And so why do we do this work? We reach the lost because there's no greater reason to rejoice. There's no higher joy. In fact, if you think that there's a higher joy, please let me know. Inform me, because I can't find a one. And so that's why our greeters say, man, it's so good to see you. That's why we put out coffee and donuts. It's why we create children's ministry. To have an area for the kids to learn on their own. Because we know each Sunday is a potential Sunday where the lost are getting found. Before we go, I think what I found most compelling was who Jesus was talking to. So I looked at this lesson many times, and often I referred to the 99 as the, the church people who are safe. You know, they're the 99 in the field. Um, you know, they're, they're the believers. They're, they're the ones who are good to go. And that's obviously why the shepherd leaves them, because they're just fine. But I was kind of retuning my thinking of the 99 as I looked at who he's actually addressing. And in the context, who he's talking about is the Pharisees. 
Remember, he is telling these parables in direct correlation to what the Pharisees had just done as they complained, why is he with sinners? And so in one of the verses, he says this, I tell you that in the same way there are more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. That phrase made me scratch my head. Okay, so the 99 can't be the church people who are good to go because they know their need to repent. We all need to repent, so who is he talking to? The Pharisees, the self-righteous. And basically he's saying that though they think they're found, they're the ones truly lost. It is a huge warning. When I related this to my own life, what I'm reminded about is that the longer that we are found by the Lord, the easier it is to be self-righteous. Can you agree? The easier it is to just tend to ourselves and say, well, that's not my problem. In fact, God even warns us, you know, if you think you're standing firm, be careful you don't fall. This also reminded me of this section of a, a video I saw about a, a sheep who was found and what happened next. I wanted to share it with you. Look at the sheep who was found and then what happens next. <laughs> Doesn't this relate to life? Right? God drags us out of where we're stuck all so that we can run for a little while and ultimately get stuck again. Right? And what I recognize is that when God finds us, that's not just a one-time thing. God is in the process of finding lost people over and over and over. And while I'm not talking about conversion, in our lives of sanctification in the Lord, um, over and over we come to worship and again, he's like, yeah, you got lost last week, didn't you? You're forgiven. And we come to the sacrament, and yeah, you, you have that in your life. Take my body. Take my blood. And over and over, God is so faithful in giving us what we need, even though we got lost along the way. And so one of the reasons this activity is so compelling is because we were and are prone to get lost. And when we do this activity, it's just simply because God has done this for us a thousand times showing up again and again and again so that we could know him and the goodness of his love. So would you join in the activity? Think and pray about who you might invite. Would you join with us in not making it difficult for those who want to come to God? Because at the very end, we'll find no greater reason to rejoice than the lost who got found in this place. Amen.